This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of the strategy inside everything. I am excited today because we are going to talk to someone I've known for a while, but in typical digital fashion, I haven't really met until just now. So we've been talking for almost uh, 20 minutes, and then I remembered we have to record an episode and make this a productive conversation. So we'll, if you would, please welcome my guest today is Ben Pereira. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really glad to be uh, be talking to you and spending time with you. And um, thanks for making time to join us. Thanks, man. It's my pleasure. Uh, so Ben, you are currently Senior Manager of Integrated Digital Strategy at Mattel. Um, but your career, you've been at a lot of agencies. You've been at Condé Nast. Um, agencies big and small in a lot of different roles. You freelanced around as well. So I'm interested in hearing how you kind of the shape of your career before we get into the topic and how you got to Mattel, if you wouldn't mind giving people a little background. Yeah, of course. It's been a bit of a wander. Um, I started when I got out of um, undergrad. I wanted I wanted to work in marketing, but I didn't know how to, you know, how to get into it. I didn't know what agencies were. I studied sociology. Um, and was kind of just in this bubble where I was really interested in the academics of it and I was interested in surfing and that was it. And so I got out and, you know, the real world kind of hit me and I was working odd jobs and, and I ended up working for an agent for about a year and a half, you know, working on this project that, that eventually became what is now the world surf league, but was at that point was just kind of a, a pipe dream that, that a few people had. Did you think it was going to work? I didn't think it was going to work. Um, I thought it was a really good idea. <laughs> but what did, what did was, you think? You didn't think the appetite was there? I didn't think, well, I guess it was one of those things that became really clear uh, as we as we went through it, that there were just a lot of structural barriers. You had, um, there were a lot of people who had vested interests in keeping things the way they were. Yeah. So. Um, that, made, that makes sense. So we kind of, we tried to storm the castle, we failed, uh, the, but it was two or three years later, a few of the same people got back together um, and the idea rose from the ashes. And it's been really cool to see. Yeah. I can't take any credit for what, you know, for what it is now, but it was, it was a really cool thing at 23 or so to be thrust into. And I was, you know, I'd be like on the phone or emailing with tourism boards and Ireland or Barbados and we were trying to come up with this, this separate tour and meeting sports agents and um, kind of you know the plan was the next year to be gone the whole year you know to be on this tour that I was planning so I'm like okay Ireland you know sounds cool Barbados sounds cool all these Morocco I think we were planning on <laughs> you got to you got to plan it all but you didn't get to go yep oh that's yep. and then so I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I had, you know, I knew that I, you know, I didn't have any formal business education. I'd never taken a business class. And so I wanted, I wanted that, that base. And one of the people that I'd worked for was a Harvard MBA. And I, I saw how he, you know, how he carried himself and, you know, with this, this kind of confidence and he had, he had a lot of knowledge that I felt like I, you know, would benefit from. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was unemployed. I was like, okay, I'll go back to school. You know, I had plan I'd been planning on getting an MBA at some point. I think I was 24. I was too 
I was just about three years out of school when I started at LMU. Um, so I would recommend, I get asked a lot, I would recommend you wait. Um, if anyone out there is listening, I, I recommend knowing what you want to do, having a really clear sense of what an MBA will unlock for you, as opposed to, you know, doing it because you have a lot of free time and, um, you can't figure out what to do, but did you do it. Did you do it full-time or did you do it part-time around a job? I did it full-time. Yeah. Okay. That's a big commitment. Yeah. So it was, I, I kind of dove in head first and met a lot of interesting people, obviously learned a ton um, and became really interested in the startup world. You know, at that point, Google had been in LA, um, but they had just moved to the West side. Uh, Snapchat hadn't quite opened up in Venice yet, but it was sort of around the time that there was this uh, nascent tech scene. Uh, Silicon Beach was just, you know, that, that, that term was just being applied there. So um, I ended up working with this guy who was ex-Google, ex-YouTube. He was the first, he was kind of YouTube's first um, creator-focused salesperson. You know, this is 2011 that I met him. So it had been, I think he started Google in 2007 or so. Oh, wow. And he had this idea that at the time we talked about it as clout meets Kickstarter. So it was to kind of, which kind of dates it appropriately. <laughs> um, it was, the idea was to let content creators reward their fans for getting, getting views or getting, um, getting follows. And he ended up building the company and then selling it a few years later. And um, he's still uh, one of my mentors and I'm, I'm lucky to call him that. But um, you know, I fast forward to me finishing school. I still didn't know what I was going to do. I had met a lot of people who worked in agencies and it's kind of a funny story. So I met this girl who was, a, I think she was an account director at Saatchi LA and she had an account executive opening. And I'm like, I need a job, you know, I need something. And I think it paid. <laughs> yeah, you it was start like to get, you get to that degree and you're like, okay, now it's time. Like I've got to use this knowledge. I've got to pay off this degree here. How are we going to do this? And, you know, to put it into perspective, I think up to that point, I got a, I got a letter from the IRS at one point that oh, no. outlined what I had made like the previous five years. And it was like 17,000, 13,000, 14. Like it was not. It was, they were like, we don't believe that you don't only made this much. You're not reporting something. It was just like, you know, I was, I was figuring out how to get by, you yeah. know, and I was living in Venice at the time. Now you have to be a multimillionaire to live in Venice. But at the time, you know whatever it was working. Um, I think the job say it paid like 50 grand or 50. I was like, this is incredible. This is more than I've made the last three years combined. You know, I just need this job. So I'm interviewing and they're, and they're talking through the day to day and talking through all the different departments. And they're like, you know, there's like production this is what they do creative, you know, what they do. And then we have this other department that does, they go, they do research, they go into people's houses, they interview them. Did and you I'm not, like, and you really didn't know what was what? No, I didn't know what any of this stuff was. And I'm like, and I'm like, that's cool. That's, that sounds really interesting, but I don't, I don't care. I need this job that I'm interviewing for because I need to make some money, you know, within a month. I didn't get the job. <laughs> and then like a month later, I get an email from a recruiter at Coneal, which is Sachi's Hispanic agency, which was in the bottom floor of that same building. Yeah. And she's like, Hey, we have this planning opening on, on T-Mobile. We're doing a rebrand of T-Mobile. And I'm like, oh, this is that job that that account director at Saatchi had been talking about. So I tripped and fell into this profession. It, it's it's pretty 
you know, it's pretty absurd. Um, I think we all do. <laughs> I think it's all kind of an accident. So, you know, of course I get that gig. Um, and three weeks later, I'm, you know, in the back behind the glass in New York, watching focus groups in Spanish, which um, I, I speak enough Spanish to get in trouble, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just, just straight into it, just immersed mm -hmm. into being a planner. And, you know, fast forward, you know, a couple of years, I worked for Coneal for a little while, for about nine months. I was on this kind of permanent month to month freelance thing, freelance at a couple different Hispanic agencies. Cause you know, you kind of, once you've done that, you're, I was kind of Hispanic marketing guy and then got, uh, found out about a job at an ocean mm -hmm. and they had, you know, they've, they've had Hyundai forever. They had never really had a planner on their retail business. And so, you know, they, they had just used strategy and put it against .com and brand and doing product launches. But, you know, the retail is just this machine and your budget's like 40 bucks. I know. And you just kind of, it's strategy light, right? But for me, it was a perfect gig at that time because it was reps. You know, I was writing several briefs a day. It was like, okay, we're doing an out-of-home thing in Connecticut. All right, well, who, you know, what's, who's driving by? What are we trying to communicate? What do they so you, care about? What's, who's our client? You just got like the quick, let's, let's bang through it. Let's, okay, I'm going to, let me quickly figure out what do I need to know? What can I know? What can I know? What yeah. do I need people to do? How, who's available to help bring something to life? Yeah. Yeah. And how do I, how do I feed the creative process, you know, without slowing it down is what ultimately what I, what I learned how to do. So did that for, I think I was there just under a year. And then I got uh, recruited to go to Deutsch to work on Volkswagen. And then six months later, Dieselgate hit. So I got, you know, baby's first crisis, which was, <laughs> which was a wild ride. Um, met, made a lot of great friends there. I was yeah. there for four years. I worked on Volkswagen for three of that. We defended the business a couple of times. Um, the last, um, you know, a losing battle, but then got to work on H&R Block and Zillow and do some, you know, some positioning um, and product launch um, work on That's that. Cool. And then yeah. Conde and then, and then Amatel. And what's the, what do you see as some of the differences going from, so you've been at startups, you've been at agencies, you've been at, Conde is an in-house job, but it's also a publisher and they have serious hardcore brands in their portfolio. How do you see the difference between agency world and, and being inside a brand like Mattel where there's these, I mean, the, the brands inside Mattel are how every one of them is a household name or, you know, there's, there's just so many famous brands in there. It's, um, <clears throat> it's, it's dramatically different. It's, um, you know, I think I was talking to, uh, I'd reach out to Katie Drecke who's just incredible if you, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with her. And we were talking about this because the, the, she had, I think she started as a planner. I think she went back and forth, actually. I think she was a planner and then Adidas and then planner again and then Nike. But the way she described it really stuck with me, which is the, the metabolism is really different. You know, yeah, an agency- That's a great way to say it. At an agency, you just burn hard. You know, you're like, okay, you, everyone knows your product. It's the simplest business that your product is just coming up with great ideas. Can you do it? And can you execute it? On our side, there's a lot, you know, what I didn't realize then 
is we're getting the ball on the, you know, like a, on the goal line at an agency, you're getting the ball on the goal line. The yes. client has done, we've had a million meetings about this stuff. We've, you know, um, I don't personally, but someone's, you know, has talked to legal as, or has, has secured a budget. The budget's been revised. Um, you've got way more stakeholders than your quote unquote client when you're on the agency side, you know, that's just the person who's, you know, giving you instructions and it should just be one or two people. Um, so the, the speed is way different and, and the, the, the creative expectation, I think everyone, you know, even the, the, you know, people at the entry level or receptionists or whoever in agency is expected to, you know, kind of have a little bit of a creative edge, you know, yeah. you're supposed to kind of push yourself to and, and, and on, on demand. On demand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think that, you know, that's just not, that's just not the expectation on this side. The expectation is to be, to be buttoned up, to have a, you know, to, to create a business case. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it's like, let's create a business case that leaves open, you know, that crack for creativity to, to come in. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just kind of, you know, the word I hate the most is anniversary. You know, we'll just like <laughs> anniversary our plans. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you're just like, we'll just change the date. All right, 2021. Let's not do that. <laughs> unless, unless last year deserves an anniversary that we run it back. Like, let's not do that. That's not a good, that's not a good thing. I think the word I hate more than anniversary is compliance. I think when I get into something and the strategy I'm writing is all about <laughs> compliance. I'm like, oh no. This is not going to be an enjoyable project for anybody. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's um you know, it's an adjustment, yeah. right? Because we're used to, you know, and there there are plenty of us at, at Mattel at least who are ex agency um but you kind of get used to like on an agency you're like you know, you're I guess maybe, maybe an analogy is like a soccer team versus a baseball team. Like, like in an agency, you're playing soccer and it's just like, we score, you know, we have, we have roles, we have a set play, but our, you know, the, the, it's, it's, it's relatively simple how, um, how we try and win. Where at Mattel, it's like, you've got a closer, you've got a right fielder, you've got, you know, you've yeah. got like, like everyone has like, it's so fucking good at. And there's an established that. role for sure. Like everybody has a spot that they are in that is their particular corner of the field. That's, that's a definite distinction from um, a lot of agencies where, you know, people are really, really tight in, in the responsibilities that, that they have. Yeah. And if you, and, and for most Definitely not all, but for a lot of agency people, if you moved everyone around, the work would get done. It would still be, you know, 75% is good. It, yeah. I don't think that's the case on the, on the client side. No, it would cause chaos for most, for most brands that I've, that I've been inside of. That's, that's what I've observed. Um, but you, is, is the, is the process of strategy similar? Like, um, you posted a tweet that I, I have on my screen here, and you said that um, it takes a ton of repetition for clients, colleagues, and creatives to ingest the strategy fully. And you said, as a rule of thumb, repeat it simply and clearly until they tell you to shut the hell up. And is that, and I, I read it, and that resonated with me immediately. And 
I can think back to times in the agency where I had to do that, where I had to keep saying, remember guys, we're doing this. Okay, that's good, two seconds later, but we're doing this, right? Remember, we're doing this. Is that the, do you find that that's the same across you know, startups and across the different types of agencies that you've been at? Because Deutsch is a lot different than an ocean, you know, just the, the volume and speed of that work. Is it the yeah. same mechanism of repetition? I think the more, yeah, if anything, it's more on the client side. It's more the more complex on uh, Conde was the same way because you have the more different interests you have, the more you have to kind of thread that needle and make sure you go, okay, this is the narrative. Now, if something's going to change that, let's change the narrative. But, you know, I think when you're on a brand, like I've never worked on Subaru, but I always think about a brand like that or an Apple, you know, um, brands that are probably a little bit boring to work on because the, 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 the strategy, the creative kind of tonality, it's so consistent and that's so what makes it's it. nailed down so tight. Right. Um, I don't know that the repetition is necessarily as important there because everyone it's, it's kind of uh, gospel at that yeah, point. That's interesting. I think Apple and super were great examples. To, to compare to each other too, because for Apple, I, you could see that it becomes, you're right, the, the core strategy is the same, you know, that's nailed down tight, but then these are the features we have to talk about and we have to figure out a way that the strategy for an individual communication becomes what feature will we promote and show delight, you know, how are we going right. to animate that? And then for Subaru, it's just like, how are we going to get a dog in this app? <laughs> gotta, gotta figure out a way to get a dog in here. Somewhere. How old is the couple? Are they like 36 or more like 38? Or, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think they got to be 37 this year. We did 36 <laughs> last year. Yeah, exactly. It's so good. I mean, it's got to be maddening. I'm sure the creatives are like, it, it's prop. It's probably really boring to work on. But but again, I think that's that's the, you know, I I kind of aspire to work on a brand like that. That's so consistent. That's so itself. That, um, that everyone kind of gets it. Right. But that, that's, that, that I think is what we're chasing in some ways with, um, and I think within Mattel's portfolio, there are brands that are closer to that, that people just get and probably don't require a lot of, um, a lot of education. They have their own histories. They've kind of created narratives and worlds that live in, in YouTube and advertising and in the product itself, outside experiences. There are others that, you know, are try, kind of like, trying to figure out what they are and have done a lot of really cool things, but needs, need some pruning to get to be the shape that they should be. Yeah. And, and I think for us on the client side, we have a lot more things pulling us in different directions. You know, we have different, we have three different insights groups, for instance. So you always have, you know, we have this, this embarrassment of riches when it comes to information, but that also means that you know, any report that comes out can be a little bit of an inkblot test that can pull you off the strategy. Yeah. So I think having a clear sense of what that narrative is and just continuing to beat that drum. So, you know, you can't assume that, you know, um, the 75 people or so that you, that you interface with, remember who you are, what you're, what, what you do, you know, for us as a new department, <laughs> that's, that, I have a, I have a strategy that I, you know, I have like kind of a, a tagline that I just repeat for our department. I'm like, just think of us like this, like, okay, let's start there. Then this is how you kind of bring us in. 
Yeah, that's funny. I, I've definitely experienced coming into a room and having everybody look at me like, and who are you? And what do you, what do you do? Oh yeah. Oh, let me tell you. Every strategist has heard that. Yeah, yeah. Let me explain what, uh, what I'm doing here. Cause I, I know you see my notebook and my glasses and you're, you're wondering why I'm here. So does that, do you start the repetition right then? At that point, you're, you're starting to remind them, reinforce even the role of your team and your, your department, kind of what yeah. you're doing. And then everything Absolutely. is just about repeating. It is. And we, you know, we came in and, you know, we're building what is essentially a comms planning function. I think at, it, at its simplest, and then there, there are some other, um, there are some tentacles that come off that. But um, functionally, that, that's kind of where we sit because we have different, we have different groups that have different creative and media responsibilities. So bringing those things together um, is, ironically enough, requires its own department. Um, <laughs> that is delicious irony. How does how do they? So I actually can understand why comms planning is a yet another spin on strategy. It's another way to, it's another place where you do need strategy. But I've been at agencies that didn't have comms planning. So I, I get a brand, especially a kind of a brand that has a storied history. I could see confusion of it. How do you message that? How do you, how do you, how have you effectively explained it to them? I don't know that it's been effective yet. <laughs> so, so I'll stop short of, of co-signing on the premise of your, of your question. But I will say what, what I'm trying to do is... I say that our job is to make creative and media work better together. That's, that's a solid explanation. So that that's it. Yeah. And you know, there, obviously there are a lot of implications to that, but um, we don't, you know, I don't have any decision power over either. So it's really making sure that the right people are in the room at the right time that we're surfacing the right questions so we can move forward and that those things can work in sync. Um, but yeah, it's a challenge, you know, you have, everyone has, you know, kind of back to the baseball analogy, everyone has their own, you know, the kind of their own goals, their own, their own KPIs. So getting, there's also that, that part of the language of, um, making sure that we acknowledge that, you know, the, the personal side, and it's not to belittle it. Like I have my own KPIs too, right. But, um, making sure that we account for the, the human side of it, yeah. that these are people and we, everyone should be recognized for what they're good at and should be part of the process. Because that's the same, even you can extend that from in the brand organization through the agency. And then the agency has their own KPIs. They have their own goals. The creative team wants to do something different. Probably the art director might want to do something different than the creative director. And then the agency owner may want to do something different if it's a small shop or, you know, the account director may be trying to do something unique with the portfolio to go pitch something else. Then you hire a director, a production company. Guess what? They got opinions too. They have different things they want to do. So it's, are you extending all the way out through that or, or do you kind of put the ship in the, in the water and just set it off and hope that you know, it got far enough with the agency concept that you can you can trust that it's going to be executed the way it was intended. I think at this point, you know, I I work with our agencies a little bit, but my role is not really to comment on the agency's work and to get, to definitely not to get involved in like 
rough cuts or you know any of that that level even at, even you know frankly on the on the agency side i would my engagement with the creative process and and the i guess post conceptual creative process varied by creative director and and sometimes pretty widely yeah um where some would want you know we were friends and we would just be talking about stuff and i might have feedback on something um others you know for me as a as i might have opinions on things but i would try and stay objective on like does this do what it's supposed to do can it do what it's supposed to do you know do i need to get in the kitchen and like tell the chef to you know take the chicken out or hmm. you know can we trust that that the creatives and then all the different production partners they hire can bring this to life in an incredible way so i would I always do, choose the latter yeah. you know and and if something gets fucked up that's a conversation to have later <laughs> <laughs> is that is that your nature to be able to remain objective or did you learn that in practice i think it's probably more my nature i don't know that's a good question it's it's definitely something i work on yeah it, like um rob campbell who was at deutsch uh for for part of the time i was there uh, he has no opinions of, whatsoever no 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 he never <laughs> he never has opinions uh and he i i just love rob so much um but he would he would talk about that you know if we if ever we were kind of hitting a wall or whatever just weren't you know like the strategy wasn't working whether it was clients or creatives or whoever he would always just push us to to be the objective voice and um and also to be interesting right not just not just calling balls and strikes to keep using baseball analogies, but, you know, to be, to deliver an objective, interesting voice, which kind of is a, is a paradox in a way, but to surface the, you know, the facts in a way that, that people find compelling and usable. That's the job. That's the job. And what, what's interesting in an agency is a hell of a lot different than what is interesting inside the brand. I mean, just the, the facts that you would surface that would become interesting on a slide or interesting in a hallway conversation are just totally different things because dramatically could not be more different. Yeah. You're working on such different ends of the challenge where I can't imagine being inside the, the group that is producing the toy or producing the content at Condé and having to the, the number of things you're solving there and the difference between the no less valuable, but totally different challenges you're solving inside an agency that somehow are on the same continuum, you know, they're on different ends of it. And there's, there's roles that are related, but the what's material and what's not material to each of those parts of the conversation. And sometimes it's interesting to see what, what was decided early on that pops back up mm -hmm. at the end of the process when you're, you know, creating a print ad or something where you go, oh yeah, all of a sudden this decision that we had no part in really is shaping a lot of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot, there are a lot more things to consider um, on on this side, but I think the basics, um, you know, the basics are still there. Like you can't you can't overcomplicate communication. Um, you know, there are things that, like sometimes, you know, what you love about yourself isn't what other people are going to love about you. So you still have to 
you know, have that insights function that, um, that guides how you communicate the, you know, the thing that you really want to say, because you may think you have something that's incredibly innovative and what people may love about it might be something much more pedestrian or simple. And, and you have to kind of let that surface. Yeah. I mean, how do you do that with something like if it, if it were nostalgia, how do you manifest that into something that drives because you're trying to get it to, it can't, it couldn't just be nostalgia. You're trying to get to like, what's the insight beside behind that. I'm sure that's what some of the insights yeah. teams are, are driving it and trying to figure out is how do you know, which is the insight that you go with and which is one that you could say, nah, not this one. You, you know, know I'll give you I'm an example from a few, it was my last, um, I think, I don't even think Deutsch made any work against it, but we were launching the Ardeon for, for Volkswagen. And it was, mm -hmm. it was kind of an evolution of the CC. It was like the, um, it was really low volume. So a lot of people probably haven't even seen it, but it's, it's, it's like a, it's a four door sport back. Um, I remember, I remember the CC. I don't remember the Ardeon very well. So it was the CC was just a regular trunk that the, the big difference was it was a lift back, but it was really sporty looking. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the, uh, the, the Germans were really, were really proud of it. And, and just wanted to tell everyone, basically, look, look at this beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, they wanted to show it off. And of course, we were going to show it off because it was a beautiful car. It looked great from a, a bunch of angles. You know, if you've worked <laughs> on automotive, you do these angle studies. And it, yeah. it's, I mean, it, we did focus groups. What was interesting was the type of person who would be attracted to a, you know, a $40,000 Sportback from Volkswagen. The car made no sense. It didn't like, why would you buy that? Because yeah. you buy it because you think for yourself. So what, you know, and we never got to the point that we made work. So it's hard to, you know, kind of um, Monday morning quarterback it. But to me, that was the interesting thing about it. That was the, you know, you can't just, it, rather than just say, look how pretty we are, show how you're interesting in a, you know, in this pretty, you know, sculpted architecturally designed vehicle right so i don't know if that answers your question but it's a little bit of like what are the layer what are the things that go together and we did a lot of we did a lot of consumer research um you know volkswagen as a as a brand at least at the time that you know they've they've changed a bunch of things but um you know historically it's it's basically a tone uh for a long time uh i think up until uh, 2016 or 17, the tone, I think, and I think for decades before that was simple human cool. Mm -hmm. So anyone could write to, or good, great copywriters and great creatives could concept to simple human cool. It was just, even just that was like, that was so sticky when you talk yeah. about repetition. Um, so it's basically a tone that is meant to be magnetic toward a certain type of person, you know, someone who thinks you know, who has refined taste, but doesn't need to show off, who, right. who kind of, um, you know, it's like, you want, you want nice things, you appreciate things, but you don't have to be ostentatious about it. So we did a lot of, well, the creatives would say, certain creatives would say we over-revved completely on audience insight. But to me, that was always the most interesting thing. It's that the cars are just, you know, our cars, and they speak for themselves. And we'll show off to your point on Subaru or Apple, you know, we'll, we'll show off the features that we know matter in the segment, 
you're going to get the yeah you're going to get the specs and the engineers are going to tell you and with the client what are the features you need to you need to call out and some to some extent that's going to drive at least some portion of the creative you have to communicate the turbo you have to communicate gas mileage or whatever the feature is we're going to be responsible but we're also going to we we also want to find a story that you know, is a little bit unexpected for the category. Yeah, I, I, re- I literally remember presenting to uh, to our clients at the time the first draft of the the first brief that I wrote for Ardeon. And I forget exactly what it was, but I but I was talking about how the car doesn't make any sense. That was just full of contradictions and that that was what people would find interesting. And there was a long enough pause on the phone and there was no video that I thought they hung up. They were just like, what are you thinking? You know, yeah. this is this is a car that we're proud of that we want. And it was just, we eventually got there, you yeah. know, and, and I actually used um, around the time, it was a little bit after that Snowbird one-star review work had come out mm-hmm. um, where they found all these one-star reviews and people were like, you know, the, it's too steep, the snow's too deep, uh, you know, whatever. So um, I use that as sort of this like, cheeky example of you know let's be self-effacing but also but kind of bragging at the same time yeah well yeah you found a way to make something interesting to people that is maybe not so interesting on its own because as you said of course it's going to be lit beautifully for two days and of course we're going to get the angles right and of course it's going to look beautiful but we have to find a way in for people to have an emotional like care about it versus just saying oh here comes another here comes another car commercial right now that you're on the brand side, how would you have received that brief from either internal or external? Or how would you position it differently if you were going to, uh, did you learn anything about the way you sell strategy and the way you communicate strategy? I think, yeah, I have. I think <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I, could see your, I could see the resolve. You're like, yes, actually, yes. I, I know that you I You know, have. you have to, sometimes you have to, mess up a couple times to you know I think at the time I was trying to I was trying to break from what is my instinct as a strategist which is to be very factual and to be pretty straight Mm -hmm. and to find interesting things but sort of leave it 80% done and let the creative finish it and not you know I've always thought you know the to me, like I put the way more work in the top of the brief than the bottom in defining the problem, exploring who the audience is, then a line, you know, then this like strategy line. I just, you know, those are, they're kind of disposable and creative sometimes see them as competitive with coming up with a campaign line or whatever. Sometimes so, they do, yeah. So, but I think I was, you know, exploring other ways to, to do strategy and, and trying to be a little more bombastic. And, um, I think actually it was, the problem was less that it was just that I didn't have a very good landing point. You know, I didn't have that the way I had articulated what we were going to say about it just wasn't quite right. And so I think my clients were right to not, you know, um, jump on board. Yeah. 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 You didn't give them the resolution, the, the, uh, and so therefore that means we're going to do something that could be like this. Yeah. To give them that res, uh, 
resolved feeling that it's been solved versus maybe that sounds like you're presenting us a problem to, to figure yeah, out. Yeah, like I'm giving them a, a political <laughs> I, mess. I think you just said this doesn't make any sense and we don't know what we're supposed to do with that. <laughs> Although as, as talking to you, I know exactly what that brief is and the way you explained it. But I think you've had time to simmer on it. Maybe I've thought not, about it a lot since. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's not how it got presented. <laughs> I didn't present it. Yeah, I didn't present it. Um, I wish I had it still, but I didn't present it exactly like that. Yeah. Um, so I've had a lot of time to think about it. And yeah. Nice. Well, Ben, this has been uh, fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for making time to join me. It's been uh, a pleasure just kind of talking through the process and uh, learning a little bit more about um, your path and the differences between some of the fun places you've been. What, um, where can people find you online? I think I have at Ben underscore Pereira on, I definitely have it on Twitter, definitely on Instagram. So if anyone wants to see a bunch of photos of, I don't know, places around California, that's pretty much all I take photos of. <laughs> um, Twitter, you get some, you know, some sizzling hot takes at times. Super, um, super some, hot takes. Sometimes some, you know, some more earnest takes. So I, you know, I try and mix it up a little bit. I like it. Uh, you know, LinkedIn. I'm one of two Ben Pereiras. I'm not the fashion blogger. So, <laughs> yet. Give it time. I, yeah. You're going to yeah. get there. I do get, I do get a lot of invitations every year during fashion week. So I need to just, uh, I need to cash in on those. I think people think I'm, I'm the other one. Um, yeah. At Ben, at Ben underscore Pereira. I'll definitely link to that in the notes here. But Ben, thank you so much for joining me. It's been awesome. Adam, thanks so much. My pleasure. Strategy Inside Everything is produced by me, Adam Kierno. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps. If someone shared this with you and you're just not sure where you could find it, you can go to specific.substack.com and sign up there and get episodes before everybody else. For more information about me, Adam Pierno, you can go to adampierno.com. There's information about my books, my speaking, and my strategy work. Have an idea for a guest? Send it my way. Just go to adampierno.com and you'll find a form there that will help you connect. Thanks for listening.